0: downtown's office vacancy surge hits a new record high. And I'll talk with Crane's Avery Donmoyer about NASCAR weekend, rain delays, crowd control, and where the city might have felt the event's biggest impacts.
1: I think the rain definitely changed things. So I think it'll be interesting in the next coming days to see how that sort of displaced crowd almost affected the the loop in the area around
0: the racetrack. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Monday, July 10th. Secure your business accounts and start earning more with a WinTrust MaxSafe account. With MaxSafe, you get up to 15 times the standard FDIC personal protection. That's right, 15 times the protection with the liability to secure up to $3.75 million per account holder. Now that's banking as it should be. Call 833 MaxSafe to talk with a local Wind Trust banker today. That's 833 safe Peace of mind is just a phone call away. Banking products provided by Wind Trust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC. See FDIC.gov for deposit insurance coverage rules. So, the NASCAR Street Race happened in Chicago over Fourth of July weekend, and I'm joined now by Crane's reporter Avery Donmoyer to talk it through so Avery you were there. you were not only writing about it in the in the weeks leading up to it but but you attended and i I certainly hope that you have dried out since then. There was a great deal of rain over the weekend um but tell me about your experience at this event.
1: It was a really interesting event to attend. I had never been to a street race before, and i also I had a very nice Experience because you know I had a, a media pass, and so I, I had a lot of access. I actually asked one of the organizers once if they were expecting weather, and they said, "There is a 100 percent chance of Chicago." <laughs> so <laughs> um, I think that they took a lot of the weather delays in stride, though, and from what I was seeing behind the scenes, um, they were doing their best to make everything happen on time, and it was a great experience overall.
0: So, so, let's talk about the lead up. There was so much conversation, and Crane said a lot of reporting on it and, and published some commentary on it on concerns about traffic, concerns from museums and uh, concerns about noise, concerns from the shed aquarium about the animals, architecture, damage on the course. There was a lot of a lot of different issues. How did those play out? and And let's start with the traffic piece of that so traffic, um the day of and the couple of days leading up to it was definitely.
1: Busier than normal. Uh, I talked to a couple people who said it added about 40 minutes to their normal commute. But overall, it seemed to be organized well. There were police cars stationed around heavy traffic areas. The only thing I think that was a little confusing to people was there were certain roads that were closed to the general public, but they were open to residents. It wasn't always clear which roads. Were residents only, and which roads were fully open? Because you know, if you're just looking at them, you see there's cars driving down, and you think it's open, but then some of them weren't open to everybody.
0: Sure. And then, what about some of the other concerns that were surfaced around, uh, you know, damage on the course, uh, at, at museums, at the shed, uh, things like that. Right. So I'm not too sure about damage, but I also
1: know uh, noise was a big concern for people who lived and worked in the area, and uh, I talked to this one woman who lived on the on the street over from the course and she said that it wasn't noisy really while they were putting it up and uh I was stopping in on some restaurants on on the way and they said that they didn't hear any of the cars any any noise.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's probably not what anyone expected. We think about NASCAR and we think about earplugs and, and things being very, very loud.
1: No, yeah. Uh,
0: but also there was a very big corporate presence. So Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois, the Chicago Sports Commission, McDonald's, Xfinity, as well as a lot of very iconic Chicago food brands. Tell me, what what did that look like? What was that, what was that um, presence like on the course?
1: There was a lot of McDonald's branded advertising around the course. <laughs> there was one pedestrian bridge uh, that took people from one side of the track to the other that was just uh wrapped in a mcdonald's logo so i think just subtle things like that um definitely car sponsorships and there was a heavy presence of chicago sponsors i know that uh u chicago medicine actually sponsored a car which i thought was interesting and not something that i had seen before so i think there was definitely a a draw of local based businesses to participate and i was also talking to some of the spectators and a lot of people got their tickets from their jobs from businesses in the area who invited them to go.
0: Yeah. And so what were the crowds like? Was it about the attendance that was expected? Did the weather deter people? How did that shake out?
1: Saturday was definitely less people than Sunday, which was interesting because Sunday was when it rained the most. At least that's that was my interpretation of it when I was looking at the crowds. And I talked to one F1 fan, Formula One, which is another uh, type of car racing. And he said that a lot of NASCAR fans aren't familiar with the concept of a race weekend, which is really what this was. It, was. it was a weekend event. You know, They had these concerts scheduled that didn't actually get to happen because of rain. And he said a lot of NASCAR fans are more familiar with just showing up on one race day. And so I think that might be why not as many people were there on Saturday leading up to the big race.
0: And so as you were out talking with people in the crowd, what is the sense that you got from people about what they loved, what went right, and what maybe felt challenging or frustrating and things that maybe we could look to improve in future years? Yeah, I think generally,
1: most people were just excited to be there. I was asking them sort of, what are you looking forward to? Is there anything you're nervous about? And most people had a very positive attitude, just sort of there to observe along for the ride. I think that the security was very well done. People felt very safe when I was talking to them. They weren't really nervous about anything safety-wise.
0: Yeah. I mean, that part is interesting. And, and you know, since the city has made this three-year commitment to doing this, you know, and the mayor had made some comments, uh, I believe right before he was mayor, about maybe looking to undo that commitment and getting out of that commitment just due to logistics and that kind of thing. I think
1: the rain definitely changed things. Um, It seemed like the rain pushed people out of the racetrack for a little while while there were rain delays. Um, I know when I was heading outside of the media center, uh, right after the rain delay was lifted, there were just masses of people going back inside. And so I think it'll be interesting in the next coming days to see how that sort of displaced crowd almost affected the, the loop in the area around the racetrack while they were displaced by rain.
0: Sure, yeah, right. Maybe people went to restaurants or bars and spent money. Maybe they went shopping, maybe they just went and did other stuff and and made an economic impact in another way somewhere else in the city. One thing
1: that I think could have been improved in terms of crowd control, I thought it was a little unclear when things were canceled or delayed or how they were making these decisions or how they would be announced. I know that they were posting updates on the website, but I think in the future for people who are there in person and there in the stands, it could have been beneficial to find a, a way to mass communicate as schedules were being updated.
0: Well, we will surely talk about this again soon, but thanks so much, Avery, for stopping by to recap and talk it through today. Appreciate you. Of course, thank you. Coming up, the birthplace of Black History Month gets a National Park Service grant for rehab. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Listeners of Crane's Daily Gist are invited to join Good to Great author Jim Collins for a one-day workshop in Chicago on October 17th at Navy Pier. This is a rare opportunity for CEOs and executive teams to spend a day with Jim Collins to understand the application of the Good to Great concepts and Jim's full body of work on what makes great companies tick. Limited places available. Go to growthfaculty.com to purchase tickets and learn more.
1: This is The Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth.
0: Crane's Danny Ecker reported, citing data from real estate services firm CBRE, that the office vacancy rate in the Central Business District midway through the year rose to 22.6 percent, which is an all-time high, up from 22.4 percent three months prior. The new share of available space is up from 21.2 percent a year ago and 13.8 percent when the COVID-19 pandemic first began. According to CBRE, the vacancy rate has hit a new record high in nine of the past 11 quarters, and this as companies reduce their office footprints with the rise in normalization of remote work. The outlook for office demand, now combined with high interest rates, has impacted the value of office properties and put some landlords at risk. For those in the market for workspace, meanwhile, negotiating leverage has never been higher, Ecker noted and that allows companies to secure unprecedented lease term flexibility and other perks in order to get deals done. Ecker also noted that most of the recent uptick in vacancy came from new supply. CBRE added the newly completed Salesforce Tower at Wolf Point to its list, a 60-story tower that brings tons of new office space online. Almost the entire building was pre-leased to Salesforce and law firm Kirkland & Ellis, but Kirkland's eventual move to the building stands to leave behind a big gap of its own at 300 north LaSalle. Ecker further reported that demand, meanwhile, was relatively strong. Net absorption, which measures the change in the amount of leased and occupied space compared with the prior period, rose by more than 427,000 square feet during the second quarter, according to CBRE. And that was the second best quarter of demand since 2019, according to the company's data. Salesforce's move-in to the 380,000 square feet at its namesake tower led the way, dramatically topping the 180,000 square feet the company vacated across three buildings in River North. The amount of available sublease space downtown as of the end of June was more than 8 million square feet, up from 6.3 million square feet a year ago and 3.3 million square feet when the pandemic first began. A CBRE leasing agent told Cranes that top-tier buildings are still winning the most deals and that subleases that offer newer space with long lease terms are proving to be competitive with direct deals offered by landlords, especially with tenants trying to avoid paying out-of-pocket to build out space from scratch. Find more reporting on this story, as well as many others, at chicagobusiness.com. The Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago President Austin Goolsbee said policymakers are on what he described as a golden path to ease price growth without triggering a recession in the world's biggest economy, as data out Friday showed a slowdown in what remains a strong labor market. Goolsbee said of the jobs data in an interview on CNBC on Friday, quote, We're getting to a more sustainable pace, which is what we need to do for inflation. He continued by saying the Fed's overriding goal right now is to get inflation down. He also said, quote, and to do that without a recession would be a triumph, and that's the golden path, and I feel like we're on that golden path. Bloomberg noted in reporting that Goolsbee, who votes on policy decisions this year, stopped short of endorsing a rate hike at the Fed's meeting in July, saying officials still have a couple more weeks of data to assess before their next gathering. According to a Bureau of Labor Statistics report on Friday, non-farm payrolls increased by 209,000 last month, less than economists expected, and job gains over the prior two months were revised lower. The unemployment rate fell to 3.6 percent, Hourly average earnings rose 4.4% from a year before and the average work week edged up. Bloomberg noted in reporting that policymakers held interest rates in a range of 5 to 5.25% at their June 13th and 14th meeting, pausing their rate hike campaign after 10 consecutive increases over the past 15 months. At the same meeting, officials lifted their projections for how much more tightening may be in the pipeline this year and now expect two further increases. Bloomberg also reported that the Fed is trying to further cool inflation, which has come down from a peak last year but remains far from the central bank's 2% goal. It's also allowing time for its aggressive policy to work through the economy and assessing how much recent banking turmoil will impact credit conditions. Rail service between Chicago and Rockford will be a reality once again due to a partnership between METRA and the Illinois Department of Transportation. Governor J.B. Pritzker announced on Wednesday that METRA will be the operator for the restoration of the Chicago to Rockford service, which was stopped in 1981. Crain's Corley J. reported that the $275 million project will be funded through Pritzker's Rebuild Illinois Capital Plan, which passed in 2019 and is set to invest more than $33 billion in Illinois' aging transportation systems. Trains are expected to start running by the end of 2027, according to a press release sent by the governor's office. Governor Pritzker said in a prepared statement, quote, from the hundreds of construction and engineering jobs created by our planned rail improvements to the increased economic growth that comes with heightened connectivity, all the way to the long-lasting reduction in pollution and traffic congestion that will stem from more efficient rail alternatives to driving, the new Rockford intercity Passenger Rail Service will have positive impacts that will strengthen northern Illinois for years to come. Jay noted in reporting that the route will have stops in Elgin, Huntley, and Belvedere and will have trains that operate up to 79 miles per hour. The project's other components include improvements to grade crossings, bridge upgrades, and double tracking in multiple locations. The service is said to support two daily round trips and have a commute time of less than two hours. Boarding locations in Chicago and Rockford, fares, and a schedule are set to be determined later. Jay also noted in reporting that, according to the press release, the next step in the process is establishing operations and maintenance agreements between IDOT, METRA, and the Union Pacific Railroad, which need to be approved by METRA's board. The original service from Chicago to Rockford, named the Blackhawk Route, ran from 1974 to 1981 but was halted due to what was described on the project's website as, quote, reduced funding and as automobiles became the transportation mode of choice. Jay further noted that last month, Amtrak started running its fastest train service from St. Louis to Chicago at top speeds of 110 miles per hour. The project cost $1.96 billion and used $1.66 billion from the Federal American Recovery and Reinvestment Act passed in 2009. That project broke ground in 2010. Crane's Dennis Rodkin reported that the historic Bronzeville YMCA, where Black History Month was first conceived, has received a grant for interior rehab from the National Park Service. Rodkin noted in reporting that the rehab grant is a little more than $436,000 from the Park Service's African-American Civil Rights Grant Program. The money will primarily go toward restoring the recreational part of the Wabash Avenue YMCA, according to Pat Adams, Executive Director of the Renaissance Collaborative, the nonprofit housing and employment program that rescued the building from demolition and last rehabbed it in the early 1990s. Rehab of the residential portion will be funded with federal money for affordable housing. Rodkin noted in reporting that the building, built in 1913, is where in September of 1915, historian Carter Woodson convened a group whose education programs about Black achievement would evolve into Black History Month. The recreational section includes the rooms where Woodson's group and others met, as well as the mural called Mind, Body, Spirit, painted in 1936 by William Edward Scott. Restored once before as part of the Renaissance Collaborative's early 1990s rescue of the building, the mural, according to Abrams, has recently suffered water damage. Work on the mural will be done by the Conservation Center, the Chicago Art Conservation Lab that did the prior work on it. Rodkin further noted that the Renaissance Collaborative now manages about 170 affordable apartments, has helped about 1,200 people find jobs, and develops and manages housing for people experiencing homelessness. That's Cranes Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Cranes reporter Avery Donmoyer. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Cranes Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.